Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And we get to go right now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And ESPN's insider extraordinaire and great writer Jeff Passan joins us. Jeff, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks for taking some time. Pleasure is always mine, Randy. Thanks for having me. Well, I, w- I want to talk about a piece you wrote recently, and we'll tweet it out. It, it's titled The Decline of the Starting Pitcher and What It Means for Baseball's Future. And one of the reasons that I was intrigued by the piece is because I was telling Michelle Smallman and Matthew Rocchio, who don't remember Fernando Mania, about Fernando Mania. Here's a 20-year-old in 1981 who gets complete games in his first eight major league starts and has five shutouts, and everybody in America was just transfixed by this starting pitcher. And the way things are going right now, I don't see America being transfixed by a starting pitcher anymore, and you touched on that in the story. First of all, could you imagine that happening? now no it, it would not happen now uh, there, there would be a, a great outcry among uh, the people who look at pitch counts uh, as if uh, there there's some sort of fixed number and I, I think baseball is a, a worse place now because the starting pitcher has just been neutered to the point he has um, I understand the reasons behind it they make sense they're rational they're logical they help teams win more but what's Good for individual teams is not necessarily good for the sport, and that was the whole premise behind the story, that baseball as a whole is suffering on account of the individual decisions that are made in front offices. And, Jeff, I know that you've been intrigued by this for a long time. You wrote a book called The Arm about arm injuries and pitchers. And I want to know, first of all, do pitch counts work? (laughs) (laughs) I I I think pitch counts at certain levels work. I think pitch counts in youth baseball are absolutely imperative because we have uh, children who are still growing and who don't know how much they can weather. But once we're well past puberty, um, I frankly don't think we ask enough of starting pitchers uh, at the youth level, at the college level, at the minor league level, and particularly at the major league level. And like you said, I, I spent four years looking into the the pitching arm and writing a book on it. And one thing I took away from it was that the fear uh, that was manifested because so many pitchers were getting injured has uh, swung too far in the other direction, frankly. And that while asking pitchers to go out every fourth day and throw 150 pitches is something that's going to lead to long-term damage having them go out every fifth day and throw fewer than 100 pitches doesn't take advantage of just how capable pitchers are to get deeper into games. Why are pitchers getting hurt then, even though they're throwing less pitches and fewer innings? I think a lot of it goes back to this unintended consequence, which is that if you're throwing less, pitchers believe, then that means we can go max effort and get more out of every pitch than we had in the past. I think it's a big reason that you see the average fastball velocity over the last two decades has climbed from 89 miles per hour to 93-plus right now. I think it's the reason you see some of these pitches that seem to defy physics, whether it's a slider that's breaking two feet uh, or a curveball that's dropping from head to toes uh, or a changeup that guys turn over and just has wicked movement. And what's happened is that max effort pitching has become the norm. 
guys don't believe that the imperative is to get to the seventh, eighth, even ninth inning of a game. So they know that if we have six innings and a hundred pitches, we are going to exhaust everything we can. And that, that also is the case with relief pitchers. When the expectation is only, I'm going to go out there and throw one inning. Well, you let it eat for a whole inning and you're going to be more effective that way. And, and the problem is with max effort pitching, you have, more stress and more strain on your ligaments, your joints, uh, your muscles, everything that comprises the arm. And so even though they are throwing less, the intensity is higher, and that intensity is making injuries just as prevalent now as they were back when guys were throwing 85, 86, 87 and just doing it too much. ESPN's Jeff Passon with us on 101 ESPN. And, Jeff, we had John Smoltz on the show several years ago, and we we were talking about Carlos Martinez, and I brought up the idea of dialing back the velocity a little bit to enhance his command. And he said, yeah, he he would be all over that. That's what he did. And I asked with Jordan Hicks' situation this year, I asked Ali Marmol about it, and he said – it's a good thought, but these guys are here because they throw 100 miles an hour. You can't ask a guy who got to the major leagues because he throws 100 to dial it back for more command. It seems to me that if you're in the minors and you have a guy that can throw a little more command, and if they want to have a guy conserve pitches, that would be the way to do it. Rather than nibble or go three and two all the time, have command. Yeah, and beyond that, movement is an important part yeah. of this. And I, I think one of the things that sabermetrics and analytics have done for baseball is allow us to understand movement a little better. There's something called seam-shifted wake that's become a big buzzword in baseball. And uh, essentially, it's trying to figure out the correct axis to throw uh, a pitch and to get superior movement out of it. And in uh, the argument, I think, it isn't just a matter of velocity. If you say we're going to dial back the velocity, but the movement is going to be there and it's going to be elite, and we're going to put the pitch in the strike zone, the notion of getting weak contact, of getting ground balls and quick outs suddenly is prioritized. And if you're prioritizing something like that, then that's going to get a guy deeper into games. And so I think saying to a guy, throw it slower and command it better it is a tough thing to say, but I think throw it slower, command it better, move it more, go deeper into games it is a pretty strong argument to make to pitchers who see the innings totals around baseball these days and are used to them being as low as they are. Uh, to me, if, if I'm developing a pitcher, I say to him, look at how few innings guys throw out there. If you're somebody who can go deep into games, you are going to stand out. And if you can throw more innings and have less stress on the bullpen, you are going to be extremely well-valued by teams out there. So if we can make this an economic argument and say you're going to make money if you throw more innings, I think that may be the most compelling argument you can make for a pitcher to to change the way he approaches things. And I would think, Jeff, that if we have a pitch clock and rather than having 25 seconds to recharge the Uh arm and throw the next max effort pitch, if it's 14 or Uh 19 seconds, guys aren't going to have that velocity and they'll be required to have more command. Yeah, and that's I think what part of the part of the impetus behind the pitch clock. It's that it forces guys to change their approach. And some guys are going to go out there and go full tilt still, and that's fine. That's their decision. That's their choice. But I think the uh, the smartest ones, or at least the ones who don't have the ability to maintain that great stuff deep into games, are going to understand. Hey, maybe I do need to change things a little bit here. But 
less velocity is not always worse for a pitcher. And we've seen that for, what, almost 20 years now with Adam Wainwright? Mm-hmm. And, and I understand Adam, Adam Wainwright is an outlier in terms of modern pitchers. And my conversation with him for this story that I did was insightful because of the way he talks about pitching, but uh, difficult to replicate. It's it's along the same lines, Randy, of the, if they're going to shift you, why don't you just hit to the opposite field, right? right. right? It, it is great in theory and a lot more difficult in practice, but that practice needs to start at lower levels. And if Major League Baseball starts to prioritize getting deeper into games by starters, then I think it's going to filter down to the lower levels. The, the problem is there's no incentive in place right now for Major League teams to prioritize that. And they look at the numbers, which gets back to the, the start of this conversation. The numbers are extremely compelling in terms of just how much better hitters are the third time through the order yeah. against starting pitchers than they are the first and second times. And you can't ignore them. It, like, it's numbers are truth. Numbers are reality. And uh, what Major League teams have done is look at those numbers and stop saying, I'm going to run my team in a particular way because that's how I've always run my team. No, they're saying, I'm going to try and win in the most efficient way possible. And that efficiency comes from bringing in new relief pitchers and having this clown car come in from the bullpen uh, with seemingly, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys who are able to come out of it. And uh, it's worked. It worked in Tampa. It worked in Milwaukee. It worked these small market, low revenue teams that in this era have a difficult time winning because of their payroll. So they have to scratch and claw and figure out every marginal advantage they can. Do you think, though, that and let's just take one isolated incident, game six of the 2020 World Series when Blake Snell was taking out. Sometimes you just have to use not you, but the, the, the people that are so hung up on those numbers. Sometimes they just have to use the eye test, don't they? Yes, but if the, if you look at the eye test, Blake Snell stuff was starting to recede there. And, the you know, I don't know if it was fatigue. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, the hitters were seeing the ball better. I don't know what it was specifically, but this was not just an analytics thing. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that Blake Snell should have been pulled. I don't think he should have, but... At the same time, in that high leverage spot, it's it's a hard, hard decision to make. And I am really glad I'm not Kevin Cash because he's going to wear that for the rest of his career. He was the guy who pulled Blake Snell out in the middle of a World Series gem. And he's going to have to speak uh, on on his reasons for that for the rest of his career. And these are the decisions that are made every day now, Randy, in Major League Baseball. You know, I I was watching... Episode one of the captain, the the Derek Jeter documentary that's going to be airing on ESPN on Sunday. And David Cohn was in uh, in the ALDS game against the Seattle Mariners in two, uh, in 1995 in, in the eighth inning with the bases loaded uh, up a run and walked a guy. And only in that situation did Buck Showalter come out to take him out after the game had been tied on a bases loaded walk. You would never ever see that nowadays ever and i you know you listen to the commentary over uh, over the video of what's going on there and it talks about how cone is laboring and how cone is grinding and maybe this shows my age but i love the idea of a starting pitcher going late into games laboring and grinding not because i want to see him get injured but because 
I think our greatest moments in sports are ones where there is conflict. And there's an incredible amount of conflict there when you see what could be versus what is. And what was in that situation was a man who was up there who didn't have his best and was trying to defeat the opponent. And God, whenever is there a better sports story than that? You know what? You just hit the nail on the head for St. Louisans because we talk about game five against Philadelphia in 2011, the Halliday Carpenter one nothing game, which uh, everybody remembers that here. We remember game six of the World Series, but those two starting pitchers literally giving it everything they had, and they were both veterans, and neither was the same after that game. But that's really in baseball what it should be all about. And listen, I, I'm not going to sit here and – advocate for a guy who goes out and gives his all and has nothing left and can't recover it. I never want to see a situation like that, but uh, a one nothing game between two aces, uh, I don't think we would be given that gift anymore, uh, except in the most extreme outlier of scenarios. And I think baseball is worse off for it. And I listen, I get the perspective that people have that games evolve, that things change, but for a sport like baseball, that frankly doesn't have all that many stars to uh, to take out your guy before the most important innings of the game. Like what other sport aside from baseball do you have the person who's supposed to be the, the star of the game, the center of the game, the person who's not just commanding but creating the action with every pitch he throws, not in at the very end. Yeah, it just it, it doesn't happen in any other sport, any other venue. One last thing, Jeff Passan, and you, you featured Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays, and I was glad you did in this piece. And there are several, Sandy Alcantara, the former Cardinal farmhand with the Marlins, there are some guys that are around that are old-school horses. Do you think that there there's a chance that organizations might look at those two and they'll still be the outliers, but organizations will give more guys a chance like the blue Jays gave to Alec Manoa when he asked to do what we're expecting him to do. Um, No, not unless there's incentive to do so. And that incentive can come in a couple of different ways. And, you know, Theo Epstein, who ran the Boston Red Sox, Chicago Cubs, won World Series with them, uh, wants to limit the size of pitching staffs. You know, start off at a 12-pitcher limit and maybe hopefully potentially go down to 11. And there are 30 GMs across baseball who are going to yell, no, that's not what we want to do. That's not the way that the game is played now. But if they weren't running teams, I would guess at least half of those GMs would say, yes, this is a great idea. So it's on the owners. It's incumbent on the owners to – look at their sport right now and say, how do we put it in the best position going forward? And I think pitcher limits and something like the double hook for the DH, which is when you pull out your starting pitcher, you lose your designated hitter. Uh, if you have little incentives in place, then I think the culture is going to shift with it. And that's the way to rescue the starting pitcher. Jeff Fasten, you've touched on something that's near and dear to my heart. You wrote about it and did great work. Thanks so much for the time, and thanks for your great work for ESPN. Uh, you, you are uh, a must-go-to on Twitter and a must-read at ESPN.com, and we appreciate you taking some time with us. Thank you for the kind words, Randy. I appreciate you having me. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. 
TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.